0: John chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. John 9, beginning in verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God And those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I'm the man. So they said to him, Then how are your eyes opened?" He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I don't know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he'd received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, well, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? He said, He's a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. And they asked him, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, Ask him, he's of age. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We, we know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they cast him out and found him, and "'Found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man?' "'He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him?' "'Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you.' "'He said, Lord, I believe,' and worshipped him. "'Jesus said, For judgment I came to this world, that those who do not see may see, "'and that those who see may become blind. "'Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, "'Are we also blind?' Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Just one second. After reading that, I was like, man, I got to talk about something else. Okay. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for um, your great mercy to us this morning. I thank you, Jesus, that you are clearly the Messiah, that you are clearly the God of the universe, the creator, sustainer of all that exists. Father, we marvel that you are able to transform us, God, that we were once blind and now that we see, we see you, Jesus. We see your glory. We see your your power, and your majesty. And so, Father, please, um, God, open our eyes to see the truth of the Scripture this morning. God, open our eyes to see the the purpose of suffering. Uh, God, help us to suffer well, uh, to suffer for your glory. Father, I I pray that you would enable us to um, be people that regularly give our testimony about what you've done in our lives, how you've opened our eyes. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So suffering is incredibly complex. Um, I don't know about you guys. I get this opportunity all the time. In fact, uh, I got a a letter from uh, one of our our church members maybe two weeks ago and uh, basically was just, just talking about this continual suffering that was in her life. And uh, you know, and I and I'm aware of it. Like, like she's had just kind of one bad thing after another, just bam, 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 bam. And and in, in this letter, um, it was it was actually a really great letter. She's like, what is God doing here? Like, why is this happening to me? You know, like, have I done something? Um, what what wait, is, it is it? This is it? This is it? This? And she kind of she kind of goes through you know several different options of why is all of this happening to me? Okay, now. The old Jason, okay, Jason 25 years ago, I would have taken a stab at that, you know? I would have been like, you know, like, here's probably what I see. Um, the, the the more seasoned Jason um, realizes that suffering is incredibly complex, um, it, I, I just anymore I reject any kind of pat answer to suffering and I, and I would encourage you to do the same like like a lot of times it may be it may seem clear you know well you're suffering because of this or well I think it's probably this and this happened to your life and this right you know man I'm just super careful like like even if it seems really clear, I am super careful about that because here's what I've come to see from the scriptures is that suffering is incredibly complex. There is not a one-size-fits-all statement. A lot of people will try to kind of package all the hard, bad things. Well, it's always happening because of this. You know, well, it's always happening because, you know, like be real careful about that. All right? now, now, what we have here in John chapter 9 is the disciples encounter this guy that's clearly suffering. He's been born blind. He's an adult. He's been blind all of his life. Obviously, he doesn't have anybody that takes care of him well, very well because he's a beggar. All right? So he's had a difficult, painful life. All right, And in their minds, there, there's only two options here. And really, it comes down to one option, like somebody sinned. Like, this guy is suffering because somebody sinned, and in their minds, it, it, it's just whether it was it him or was it his parents, you know? Like, like somebody sinned, either him or his parents, and, and that's why he's suffering, okay? Now, now, actually, this is a really common uh, view of suffering. We, we find it in the Bible a multitude of times. Let, let me give you another place in the Bible, in the New Testament, that we find it really clearly, and that's Luke chapter 13, okay? So Luke chapter 13, let me just read you this passage real quick, verses 1 through 5. There were some present at the very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifice. So there'd been these guys from Galilee that got slaughtered by Pilate while, evidently, while they were in the act of, of, of making their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. And then he gives another example here in verse 4, some kind of natural disaster twin tower type of thing that happened in verse 4. It says, or those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell, was obviously something that people knew about. This tower fell, killed 18 people. He said, do you think they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you all likewise perish. Okay, so clearly there were were people that were talking about like horrible things that happened, right? Like these these folks were murdered by Pilate. These other folks, a tower fell on. You had one kind of of murderous thing happen and one kind of natural disaster happen. And what were they all saying? Well, these folks must have been worse, right? They must have done something bad. Uh, I think we're all a little bit drawn to that kind of explanation of suffering, why, why would we be drawn to that? We'd be drawn to that because then we can be like, okay, if I just don't do anything like really bad, if I do anything worse than other people, then I, I won't have bad things happen to me, right? Like it, it almost gives us a little bit of control, right? It, it's the whole book of Job. Have you guys, if you've ever read the book of Job, man, this this is the question in the book of Job. Uh, you, you have this guy who, who, who suffers in a horrible way, Right? Uh, like he he loses everything. And, and, and then his friends come and they're like, man, you must have done something really bad. Like, what'd you do, Job? Like, what'd you do? All right. Now that, that's kind of the theology that was happening here in John chapter nine. All right. Now th- th- this blind guy who's blind from birth kind of messes up their theology because they're trying to figure out, well, if he sinned, Man, it's kind of hard to do something really terrible when you're in your mother's womb, you know, isn't it? Like, like it's hard to really mess up bad while you're you're still an infant in your mother's womb. And so if this guy was born blind. Then so they're trying to figure this out in their head. Well, you know, did God know he was gonna do something really bad? And so God punished him beforehand, or, you know, the other, the probably the more prominent thing was his parents must have done something really bad, right? Like, like they're reasoning that this out in their mind. Okay, now. Now, that, that, that is a deficient view of suffering, all right? That this view of suffering that the more terrible your sin, the more terrible your suffering. Now, he, here's what's clear, all right? Let, let's just back up and take a systematic run at this, okay? Here's what's clear. We're all sinners, right? We understand that, okay? Romans three twenty three. for all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Not only are we all sinners, we're all born in sin. There's there's a, a doctrine that we believe here at Lincoln Avenue. It's called the doctrine of original sin, which means that we all came into this world broken. When Adam and Eve sinned against God in the garden, when Adam and Eve fell... Man, there's a chain linking us all to Adam and Eve, and we all went down. They pulled us all over the cliff, and we all fell into sin. That's why there's verses like Psalm 51.5 in your Bible where where David describes himself, and he says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. David is not saying his mom sinned and some kind of immorality and conceiving him. He's saying, I was born into sin. I was born broken, like like, I've, I've never been okay. I've Always been broken, and indeed, that is the, the that that's that's the story of uh, of biblical theology. Every person on the planet is a sinner. We've all ignored our creator. We've all not given God the glory He's due. We've all made idols of ourselves and things instead of of God and worshiping Him. We've all lived in ingratitude and in arrogance toward God. And, and the question being asked in this in this passage is, Why am I suffering? Why am I suffering? You know, this is a little rabbit trail. You know the big question that nobody ever asks? Maybe you've heard people ask this. But the question that that seems really obvious to me, like I think most everybody in this room would believe that. Do we all believe we're sinners? Is there anybody here that's like, I've never done anything wrong. I've never never thought a bad thought. I've never said about, you know, I've I've, I've always done everything perfectly. I've always worshiped God. Like if you're, talk to me afterward or let's come in this week, okay? I, I, I think we all know we are broken. And so you know what's funny? Nobody ever asked the really interesting question. Why isn't our whole existence suffering in judgment? Like, if that's true, if if I and you, if we're in violation of the laws of the universe, if we've all turned our backs on God and walked away from him, why are we allowed happy times? That's really the better question, isn't it? Like, that's the more interesting one. You know, nobody ever asked that. Like, like, like lots of people ask why am i in pain why are things so hard you know but 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 the really more interesting question is like why man why'd the sun come up for me today why 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 have the sunrises and sunsets been so beautiful this week they have been have you watched them there's some kind of haze or something in the sky that's just making this this dark uh, like why why that you know like, why, why are babies born so beautiful? Why do the rains come and provide crops? Why do we got bodies that can run and minds that can think? And why are there so many wonderful things? Like, that's the more interesting question. Nobody ever asked that. You know, but like, what man, why, why, why do I feel pretty good today? Like, that, that's the really great question. Like, I'm a sinner. I'm an offender against God. I have raised my hand against Him. From my whole life, I've been set apart from Him. Man, why are things so good for me? Nobody ever asks that, do they? All right, let's go back to the question everybody asks. Everybody always asks the question, you know, man, why, 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 why aren't I rich? Like, why, why do I struggle? Why, why have I had pain? That's the question everybody asks. Again, Book of Job. Three friends had a very similar message to to Job, right? So Job has. In a very short time, lost all of his children, his herds, his businesses, his income, his health, and the basic message of Job's friends was: "You must have done something terrible, Job. Like you must have done something worse than." Now they had they had the right theology. They knew that everybody was a sinner, but what they said about Job is: "You must be a bigger sinner. You must be hiding it, because all these terrible things have happened to you." And by the way, if if you've ever read the book of Job, God was not happy with that explanation. Okay. In Job forty two seventy, basically says, "Guys, I'm gonna kill you all for you know talking that way to Job." And Job intercedes for them, and God turns back his anger and 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 rescues them. This, this actually this is the whole this is the whole premise behind Hinduism. You know anything about India? Uh, One point three billion people. Most of them believe that that your life is hard to the degree that you've messed up in a previous life. That that's why that's why they don't care about orphans. That's why we send a lot of money to India to care for orphans, but people in India, most of them don't care at all for orphans. Why? Why? Because here's, here's their logic, okay? If you're an orphan, if you've already got this terrible suffering in your life, man, you must have done something terrible in the previous life. So we just need to let you suffer for that and pay for what you've done. Like that, that's their theology, 1.3 1.3 billion people on the planet that's what most all of them believe uh, I'm sorry in India that's what most all of them believe all right so now let's make a little correction okay cuz that 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 that's a broken way of looking at suffering all right so here's what we can say about suffering all right first of all there is not a specific one to one correlation between sin and suffering in this life okay do you, you hear what i'm saying okay because because we're gonna have to clarify it here, but what I'm saying right now is there is not a there's not a specific correlation between you did this therefore you have cancer, or you you sin in this way therefore your your dad died. Okay, like there's there is not that in the scriptures. In fact, a lot of times we see the very opposite of that. Um, I, I don't remember, just a few weeks ago, I, I heard Gary preach. I don't remember if he preached in every service or if he just preached. I heard him in the, in the 945. But anyway, he preached on Psalm 73. And I don't know if you guys heard that sermon or not or if you had somebody else. But, but Psalm 73 is this great biblical example of, of, of the psalmist looking around and saying, you know what, there's a lot of wicked people who have really easy lives. There's a lot of, there's a lot of people who have sinned in great ways and yet they're healthy and they're wealthy and they're comfortable and they don't have problems and their families are beautiful. And like, like what's going on with that? Like Psalm 73 is this internal struggle about why do people who are big sinners, why do they have easy lives? Okay. Now, obviously, hold on. The rule doesn't apply to eternity. Okay, we're talking about in this life. I want to make sure you understand that. Okay, in eternity, there absolutely is a connection between sin and suffering. Okay, all right? Unless, of course, you're joined to Jesus who takes away your sin and gives you his righteousness. That's the gospel. Okay, but other than the gospel, there's absolutely a tie to sin and to suffering. But in this life, okay, in this life, there's not. Now, of course, sin has brought suffering into the world in a global sense. All right, so whenever you have people offer an easy answer about, like, why are things hard in the world? Why is there suffering in the world? Why is there the Taliban? Okay, if you say, well, things are hard in the world because of sin, that's actually true for in a broad global sense, right? Like... Like, why is there disease? Why do people die? Why why is there violence? Why is there rape and murder and, and genocide? Why sin, right? Like it's because our world is broken in sins. We get Adam and Eve didn't believe God and the whole thing cratered, okay? On, on a global sense. All right? And, and and sometimes there is a direct correlation between sin and suffering. Husbands, have you ever said something really dumb and mean to your wife, and it resulted in an immediate suffering. Has, has that ever happened to you? That's happened, hasn't it? Like, like okay, so sometimes there is a connection, right? Do you see why this is complex? I, I just told you that there's not always a one-to-one connection, and that's true. Like, there's not always. Sometimes people live righteous, good lives and die horrible deaths, okay? There's not always a one-to-one connection. But now I'm stepping back and telling you, sometimes there is, right? Like sometimes you sin and there is immediate suffering. Some, old, some examples in the Bible. How about, how about Miriam? Like this, this, I'm just picking some really clear ones. Like Miriam accuses Moses about the woman that he's married. And what happens to her? She's immediately struck with leprosy, right? Like, like you can't get more one-to-one to that, right? Like, she opens her mouth and bam, oh, God, like God actually strikes her with leprosy. Remember, remember in Acts, uh, Herod, Herod is giving a speech and they're all trying to ingratiate themselves to him. And the, so they say, the voice of a God and not a man, you know, and Herod just kind of puffs up his chest and is like, yeah, I'm a God, you know, bam, God strikes him with some kind of internal like disease. And it says he's eaten with worms and dies. Okay. I don't know exactly what that means, but it is not good. Okay. What, whatever. How, dying that way can't be a good death, right? And, and, and so there, there are Ananias and Sapphira, remember? They come up, they lie to the entire church about, about their, their gift, right? And bam, God strikes them both dead. Like, like sometimes there is a one-to-one connection. Sin has consequences in Israel. real. Hebrews 12.10 talks to us about believers and chastening, okay? In Hebrews 12.10 it says, Sometimes God, not sometimes, God will chasten those whom he loves. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10, it says, for they disciplined us, talking about our earthly parents, for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, God, disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. All right. So sometimes God actually brings adversity, suffering, difficulty, pain into your life actually to produce holiness in you. Like you're going in the wrong direction and God God gives you a spanking and, and, and he turns you into the, to the right direction. Okay. So so, so sometimes it's God's discipline for our good. But that doesn't mean that every hard, painful thing that comes upon you is because of sin. Hey, Jesus suffered, did he not? Incredibly, actually. He was falsely accused, he was impoverished, he was mistreated, he was crucified, he was murdered. And Jesus never sinned. St. Corinthians 11 describes the continual suffering of the apostle, not because of sin, but actually because of his faith in Jesus. Solomon sent me pictures yesterday of, of this, this group of this church in India um, that, that we're connected to, and they're all out in the jungle with this little tarp over their, 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 uh, between some trees and, and they've got some, some things that they're cooking with, and they've been run out of their village. And and then he sends me three more pictures, two of guys that they they beat up and put in the hospital, and one of a guy who they poured acid on, and and he's he's in a government hospital right now laying with half of his flesh coming off, okay? Those guys actually suffered, why? Because they did good. Their, Their suffering was because they're following Jesus and they're paying the cost of being a believer, all right? So sometimes you suffer for doing what's right. Are you seeing how complicated this is? Like, sometimes we suffer just because there's there's global sin. Our world is broken. Sometimes we suffer because of the consequences of our sin. Sometimes we suffer because God is disciplining us for our good to bring us back into righteousness. Sometimes we suffer for doing what is right because of the evilness in the world. Sometimes we suffer because we're associated with other people. Man, a verse that I, I just, I got these verses that I just want my kids to know. And so we say them like constantly. And one of them, uh, we say on the way to school is Proverbs 13, 20. I just figured going to school is a good time to say this one. He who walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. And man, I I, I want them to know that principle that, you know what? If you choose the wrong friendships and you associate yourself with the wrong people, there's a really good chance you're going to suffer not because of your sin, but because of the sins of other people. Like, that, that happens, right? We, we sometimes suffer because of the sins of other people. We sometimes suffer because of our parents' sin. Like, the disciples were not crazy when they were, when they were saying, you know, who sinned, this man or his parents? Hey, are there not babies that come into this world suffering because of the sin of their parents? Absolutely. Man, if you've ever been in the foster care world, you know that there's a bunch of kids who are suffering because of their parents. All right, so hopefully I've just made it really complex. That's what i meant to do, right? So you, you see how, how offering up a solution for why are people suffering? You need to be really careful with that because this thing's complex. All right, but, but now I'd like to turn your attention to John 9 and see how does Jesus answer this question. Well, here's what he says, verse three. Jesus answered, so he's answering the question, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, and he was born blind? Jesus answers the question in verse 3 by saying, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, so Jesus says neither, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Now, Jesus does something really interesting here, all right? Jesus actually, and he does this a bunch, He, like, doesn't really answer their question, okay? Actually, he kind of answers the better question, maybe. Or he turns their attention. He sort of does, but he really just turns their attention into what they really should be looking at. And what he says here is that God is going to display his power and glory in this man. God is going to use this man's blindness to bring him everlasting joy. Like, that, that's what's about to happen. This man is gonna be healed of his blindness, but that's not actually the big thing here. Like, Jesus is gonna spit in the ground and make clay and put it on this guy's eye. I, I love that. Don't you love how Jesus, hey, he doesn't ever heal anybody almost the same way. Like, sometimes he just speaks and they're healed. Sometimes, you know, but sometimes he spits in the ground, you know, makes clay. It it's kind of reminds me of, of God fashioning man from the dust of the ground, right? And here Jesus is, is making mud. And by the way, whenever whenever you got an eye problem, putting mud in it usually does not help, okay? It, it's usually not a good thing, right? It's just, it's just really cool, right? And so Jesus makes mud, puts it on his eyes, he opens up, he goes and washes in the pool called scent, which I think there's some cool stuff there. And the guy sees. But guys, that's not the big win here. Do you see that? The, the reality that this guy can now see is not the big win. There's a greater purpose in this man's suffering. The man's eyes would be open physically, but more importantly, they're about to be open spiritually. He's going to see the glory of Jesus Christ. Like that's actually his bigger problem is he can't see Christ's glory. These Pharisees around him, they can't see Christ's glory. This is the big de- the, the big deal in this passage. Like, the guy has a deep need to see the light of the sun, but he's got an even greater need to see the light of the world, Jesus Christ. Seeing his glory is what you most desperately need. I wasn't going to look at this per, this passage just because I always look at it with you, but I can't help myself. Um, it's not up on the screen, but 2 Corinthians 4. It Here's our problem, guys. In their case, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. For we, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord for our, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Our problem is we're not impressed with Jesus. That's, that's our problem. This guy's got two problems. Number one, he can't see. Like he can't see people, he can't see to work, he can't see to read. Hey, that's a problem. Problem number two, he doesn't know Jesus the Messiah. Which of those is the bigger problem? Well, the second one is the bigger problem. And Jesus says, to answer the question: why was this guy born blind? Was it his parents' sin? Was it his sin? He's like, neither. But watch this. And let me show you what I'm going to do through his suffering. All right. What if, what if you and I could start doing this? I'm not talking about spitting in the dirt and healing people. I'm, I'm talking about, what if, what if we began to not ask the question, why is this happening? But what if we begin to ask ask the question, what's God doing in this? You see how those are a little different? You see how they're they're different, but they're they're really important, okay? There's an important difference there. It seems more important to Jesus to teach us what, what the glorious thing God is about to do through this man's blindness than why he's born blind. Here's what I found, guys. Suffering without purpose is the worst kind of suffering. You know, it's hard to endure suffering that seems to be for nothing, for no redemptive purpose. But listen, if you're a Christian, that is never the case in Jesus Christ. And It's incredibly useful here to to just begin to ask, not why is this happening to me, but what is God able to do through this suffering? What's God able to do through this? I was talking with um, a member of my staff this week about... um, a particular case that we've been dealing with, and um, and it's just kind of horrible. And the person is just bitter, 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 angry um, at, at everything. You know, you, you know what suffering can do to you? Suffering can just make you furious at everything. And and. So we're, we're, just, we're talking about how to try to help this person. And this person wants us to do certain things. And they want us, you know, to, to fix their deal, which really won't fix their deal. And, but anyway, they're, but they're just furious. Um, and every time I talk to them, it's just, it's just the same thing. And, and I was talking to a member of my staff. And, and I was trying to, trying to just get my head around, how do we really help this person? And I said, you know, if it were, and I named another person. The first person is not a believer. But the second person has almost similar circumstances in their suffering, maybe a little worse in some ways, but they're a believer. And I said, you know, what would so-and-so do in this situation? And we both, we, right away, we were like, well, they'd do this. <laughs> they, they'd go, and you know what? They would make the best of it in the sense that they would have this sense of hope and this sense of, hey, you know what? This is a bad deal, but what, what's God going to do here? And you know what, I know God's gonna take care of me. I I know that I've seen them do that before. And, and it's the difference between suffering without a purpose, suffering in unbelief, suffering, you know, just thinking God is mad at me and he's, he's just putting the screws to me. It's the difference between that and a believer saying, Man, I know my father loves me. And I don't understand everything in this world, but but I know he's always working. And I know he's able to do good out of even bad things. Turn to 2 Corinthians 4, 17. I, I, I really believe this, this has become, for me, the most encouraging verse in the Bible concerning sufferings, all right? By, by far. This one is the top. It's, it's number one for me, okay? We'll just jump into the middle of it here. Uh, I'll just look at one verse for you. Okay, verse 17. Paul, Paul describes suffering in this way. And verse 16, he talks about how our, our life is wasting away, okay? And then in verse 17, he says, for this light momentary affliction. Whoa, 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 whoa. Light momentary. Paul, what are you talking about? Is, is that because his life was so good? No, man. The dude was oppressed in every way, physically enemies, poverty, stress, okay? And, and yet, what what look look at this perspective. All right? This light momentary affliction. What's he doing there? He's not asking why is he suffering. He's putting in the context of what God is doing in his suffering, okay? This light momentary affliction Okay, so it's, it's not going to be for eternity. There is great hope and in, in this is going to end and something new is going to begin. Okay, is preparing for us. That, that may be the most interesting two or three words in that. Okay, so what he's saying is the thing I'm suffering now, right now, the pain I'm enduring right now is actually being transformed in this investment way into something that I'm going to receive in glory. okay. So this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. What's that mean? Man, I wish I could describe it for you. I don't know. But it's eternal and it's heavy and it's glory. All right. Eternal weight of glory. All right. that's, That's what's That's what the suffering endured in Christ in faith is transforming into this weight of glory beyond all comparison. In other words, the good that God is doing with this suffering cannot even be compared to the pain of the suffering. If we go back to John 9, there's a guy that's been blind all of his life. He's a beggar. That's pretty bad. But that guy, for the last 2,000 years, has been with Jesus experiencing fullness of joy and pleasure forevermore, and he's waiting on us to get a new body in which he'll live forever in the new heavens and the new earth, probably seeing better than any of us. God just kind of works that way. I think he's okay, right? Suffering in this world, preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Paul just kind of thought this way, like even in his own personal life. So 2 Corinthians 12, he's got this painful thing. He, he doesn't tell us what it is. He calls it a thorn in the flesh. But, but listen to how he talks about it. First, 2 Corinthians 12, 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. Okay, so what, what, what's he saying there? And here's the purpose of my thorn to keep me from being prideful. Okay, so he's, he's looking at purpose. A thorn was given me in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being prideful, conceited. Okay, Again, he's going for purpose. Verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should, be, it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ, here's purpose again, the power of Christ may rest upon me. See, Paul, what's Paul not doing there? He's not saying, God, what did I do? What did I do? You know, I've served you. I've turned away from my old life. I've become a missionary. I've planted churches all over. You know, why is my life so hard, God? Like, why, why, why are people trying to undo constantly the good that I'm doing? God, why, why do I have this thorn in the flesh, God? Why, why have I been afflicted? He's not asking. He, you see, what he's not doing that. What is he doing? He's saying, God... I see that through this suffering, you're keeping me from pride. You're keeping me from something worse. I see that you're enabling me to, or empowering me or pushing me to depend on you in greater degrees. I see that actually I'm stronger than I was before. Like he's always looking at what is God doing in the suffering. And for Jesus, this was important stuff. Let's let's move forward a little bit. Verse 4. So he says, so wasn't this guy that sinned, wasn't his parents, verse 3, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Verse 4, but we must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Man, I, I think it is a beautiful thing here that Jesus basically says, he's not dealing with the philosophical question about the nature of suffering. You know what he's doing? He moves to what needs to be done in suffering. See, they're asking him the why. What's Jesus doing? Man, it's time to work. This guy's suffering. We we gotta seize our opportunity to work in the midst of suffering so that the glory of God can be displayed. You you know what I'm afraid happens a lot of time with suffering? People stop working. True? True? Like, I'm hurting, I'm in pain, my life's a you know, wreck, a shambles. I'm going to stop working for Jesus until this deal gets better. And it's interesting that Jesus goes the other direction. He's like, man, this guy's suffering. Y'all are sitting around discussing, you know, who sinned. I'm saying, let's let's get to work in relieving the suffering and in displaying the glory of God in it. Let's get to work. There's an urgency. That's the whole day-night thing here, Right? Like we've got to work while it's day. What's he saying? He's giving this example of, you know what? We've got so much daylight. We, we've we, we've got to get to work. Like there's an urgency that people see the glory of God. There's an urgency that people see the light of the world. We, we've got to display his glory through his word, yes, through our lives, yes. But, but in this context, through suffering. Display the glory of God through suffering. People have a limited opportunity to see the glory of God. And if they don't see it, they're going to be blind forever. What do I mean by that? Well, 2 Peter 2.17 describes hell as a place of the gloom of utter darkness. It's actually one of the scariest things to me about hell. <laughs> as if there's not a scary thing about hell. Like like all of it is scary. But like I, I just, the gloom of utter darkness, that, man, that, that's terrifying to me. To forever be in a place where there is no light. Where there is no sight. Like there's an urgency, guys. John MacArthur quoted Richard Baxter. I was reading him. Richard Baxter said this, I preached as never sure to preach again as a dying man to dying men. That's true, isn't it? We, we prayed with Lynn on... Thursday and on Friday morning, and that was our last opportunity. Let's talk quickly about this guy. So Jesus heals him, and he and he's so different that they barely recognize him. There's some funny stuff in here, honestly. Verse 9, I mean, the, the, the Holy Spirit has a sense of humor. Okay, so verse 9. So they're all talking about this guy. Some said it's he, others said no, but it's one like him. He keeps saying, I'm the man. Like, how, how, how is that where you're so, you're so different that people are talking about, is that the same guy? I think that's cool. The Pharisees are working so hard not to believe. Did you notice that in this passage? They keep calling him, you know, who opened your eye? Well, I told you. You know, well, tell me again. You know, they call him two or three times. They call his parents. I mean, they're working overtime not to believe. Why? Because they they don't see. They're spiritually blind. That's Jesus' purpose here. That's his point here. This guy doesn't have all the answers, but I I want want you to see what he does here. A lot lot of you have come to me and said, well, I don't feel competent to witness because I don't have all the answers. What if people ask me this or that? This guy's got it down, man. Look at verse 25. So they're quizzing him. You know, what do you say about this guy? Tell us he's a sinner. Verse 25, he answered, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. But one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. You know what that's called? A testimony. Do you have a testimony? A testimony is just simply, hey, I'm not not here to answer all your theological questions. I'm not here to answer all your deep thoughts about God. But here's one thing I know. I used to be like this, and I met Jesus, and now I'm like this. I once was blind, but now I see. Do you got yours? Can you... Can you give a simple, we always say three minutes, that's what the Zume training helped us to kind of model, but, but can you in three minutes just tell people your story about encountering Jesus? You used to be this, and you encountered Jesus, and now you're this. This guy is bold with his testimony. His parents know that if they speak up, they'll be cast out of the community, cast out of the synagogue. This guy doesn't care, and he ends up getting cast out. And then he meets Jesus again. Let's wrap it up here. Verse 35 through 38. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, all right, every one of these is a whole sermon, but Jesus finds the guy again, doesn't he? He comes after the guy, he finds him. Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, Who is he, sir? I may mean, believe in him. Remember, he, he, he never got to see Jesus because he, he was blind and Jesus put mud on his eyes and told him to go wash in the pool. And so he went and washed the pool. In the meantime, Jesus left. So he hadn't actually seen him yet, right? Verse 37, Jesus said to him, you have seen him. It's he who is speaking to you. 38, beautiful. You should underline it. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. That's the way it goes, right? I believe. And so he worshiped him. Whether you know it or not, I think you're familiar with John Newton. You may not know all of his story. Uh, John Newton lived in the 1700s. His mother died when he was six. His dad was a sailor. Um, He got pressed into being a sailor uh, at a very young age. And because of that, uh, fell into a life of horrible debauchery. Uh, This is his own words. He says, The companions that I met, uh, completed the ruin of my principles. He said, I was capable of anything. I had not the least fear of God before my eyes, nor the least sensibility of conscience. He describes himself as falling into all manner of sin and debauchery. Um, interesting. He, he actually, at, at around 2021, 20, was captured and became enslaved. <laughs> so he actually lived as a slave. He, he said, His life was so hard that um, the the Negroes in which he was enslaved with would often sneak food to him from their rations. That's how low he was on the slavery totem pole, okay? Uh, Through a miraculous course of events, a friend of his father finds him and rescues him out of that slavery. And uh, instead of going the right direction right away, as often is the case, he, he continues to go the wrong direction. He actually becomes a captain of a slave ship. So now he's enslaving Africans and and selling them in the slave trade. Shortly after this, he becomes converted. Uh, He's born again. Um, He gives up slave trading, becomes a pastor, pastors two congregations, one for 16 years and one for 27 years. He actually joins William Wilberforce in, uh, in defeating the slave trade, actually outlawing slavery in England. But most familiar to us, he writes a song, and that song goes, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, the saved a like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. And then the, the line he got out of John 9, was blind, but now I see. Is that you? Have, have, have you been spiritually blind? Well, that's the, yes is the answer for everybody. But, but the bigger question have you come to see the glory of Jesus? And if you have, then I would urge you to see it in your sufferings. I, I would encourage you this morning, stop asking the why question. I mean, it's just, it's really hard, and I don't know that it actually has a lot of value. I know in Job's life it doesn't because they actually, nobody ever filled him in, you know? Like there was a why in Job's law. I mean, it was this, this conversation between Satan and God, will, will Job serve you for nothing? I mean, he actually never gets to figure that out, right? The whole book of Job goes by and, and God finally at the end reveals his glory and Job's like, yeah, I don't have any more questions. I'm fine. But he actually never, I, I just don't know that the why is the important question. But, but the better question is, what is God doing What is he able to do? What will he do if I believe in my suffering? How will he display his glory? How will he work good in me or in somebody else, even through the sufferings of this life? God's able to do that, isn't he? Romans 8 28. God's able to work good through all things for those who believe. That's the question I want you to rest on today. Let's pray. Father, I, I ask you, God, to stir our hearts to believe. Um, Father, I pray that you would comfort those who are suffering. I, I pray, Father, that you would help us to, to get to work, God, to get to work in the midst of suffering, uh, to relieve suffering, to, um, to attempt to display your glory in it. Father, I, I pray, God, that you would, you would enable us to see spiritually. And God, that others might see through our struggles. And that we might help others see through their struggles. God, that we would see that that you're the most important thing. That God, that you can turn even our struggles, even our pain, into future glory. Father, we hold on to that this morning. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.